chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1, and I want to read specifically verse 8. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Old Testament book of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice of food or with his wine, which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Amen. You may be seated. The morning of the 20th century ushered U.S. workers into what we later describe as an industrial age. We were transitioning from a predominant agricultural culture to a society that is now one of industrial machinery. Skills and aptitudes were needed to satisfy the requirements of becoming machine operators and heavy equipment operators as well as printing press, industrial plant presses and machinery along with manufacturing operators. But yet the evening of the 20th century and the morning of the 21st century ushered us toward a progressive context of what we now call technology. But as we are moving more rapidly toward the midday of the 21st century, we are wrestling with the push to the forefront of what is called STEM science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And yet, although we are making tremendous progress in understanding the importance and the impartation of what we call hard skills, and hard skills is simply the learning of the technical knowledge. We would call it book sense, getting the book knowledge of a particularity. As I scan for the last four years, I have had a project of my own initiative to understand what industries call soft skills. And perusing human resource individuals as well as managers across various diverse industries, their number one criticism of both higher education institution as well as undergraduates is the fact that they either were not taught soft skills or that they themselves merely lack what soft skills are. Now you might want to know what are soft skills. Soft skills is generally in a simple definition it refers to personal attributes that allows a person really to simply effectively relate to another individual. For example, these HR individuals and these hiring managers say 
that they are fine with the hard skills that undergraduates receive. That just means that if they majored in computer science, they got computer science. If they majored in civil engineering, they got all the rudiments of civil engineering. But what they cannot do, what they are contending is, they don't communicate well. They don't carry themselves well. They can't operate in a team concept. They don't understand the importance of finishing a project. They don't have self-motivation. They don't understand the importance of critical thinking. They cannot take a project and basically break it down to components where everyone in the team has an opportunity to contribute to the progress of the project. They say that we are not turning out young men and women who understand or possess the soft skills needed, watch this, number one, for a global economy. So they are contending that we can no longer just prepare a worker to work just specifically in the American context. But if you work for a particular industry, your job may send you to Korea. They may send you to China. They may send you to Russia. And their question is, if I send you to these various contexts, can you adapt? Can you operate within that context with what we call civil liberty? Can you operate by way of communicating? Can you learn the language? Can you learn the customs? Can you conduct yourself in a professional manner where we can execute what our objective is and you can come back and give us a positive return? That involves learning soft skills. No matter how great your brain is, uh, we say that those are cognitive skills. Now, cognitive skills primarily involves my intellectual input, how I am learning. But soft skills, and I, and I do think there's a problem here because um, HR people argue that soft skills are non-cognitive. Well, I'm thinking, now, wait a minute, now, if they're, if they're non-cognitive, that means they don't involve my brain at all. And I can't communicate, I can't be caring, I can't exercise professionalism, I don't understand empathy without putting my brain to work. So it's not just non-cognitive, I think it's a combination of both cognitive and non-cognitive. When we say non-cognitive, that's more of the personality trait of who I am, and I think it involves both. And I'm just trying to elevate this morning, which I hope would have been more young people who are college-bound and high school-bound, because these HR individuals say, if we can't get them at higher ed, we at least need to start at the secondary level, high school, middle school, and start encouraging these individuals to understand what it means to possess soft skills. Now, those of us who've been working for a while, we probably think that we've got soft skills down packed. 
really, if you probably look in our work environment and context, we all stand in need of improvement. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ricky. I certainly appreciate that. Amen. My goodness. So we're talking about soft skills, and you might say, what does that got to do with Daniel chapter 1? Well, amazingly, when Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not going to give you a lot of details about the history of the story, I just want to get to the point. When Nebuchadnezzar had taken captive, or some might argue annexed Jerusalem into his possession, one of the first things he did was to peruse the individuals that he had taken captive. If you look closely at verse 3 and 4, he raises the question to his leading official by way of a direct command. He says to him, hmm, I wonder if there are some solid, soft-skilled possessors among the Hebrews. And if it is, my HR person, I want you to go through them and look at verse 4, I want you to find for me what the text says, first of all, some young people. Now, that doesn't mean that he was discounting or disregarding those who were older, who had been already in his cabinet by way of employment, but he was looking for those who were younger that he might replenish and get prepared what we call transition because perhaps his own immediate cabinet were getting up in the years getting near the mode of retirement and he needed someone to fill the reins if you would study the job market these days they will tell you that in various industries and I'll just name one particularly in nursing as nurses retire we are looking forward to a tremendous problem because we're not having the same incoming of young men and women interested in nursing at higher education levels. So there's a fear that if all of our retirees bailed out at the same time, we would have a tremendous shortage of nurses to care for us in the hospitals. All because our young men and women are not interested or has not found nursing to be an attractive profession. The same holds true for education. It is becoming clear that as teachers retire, we are not recruiting enough to replace them because we don't have enough young men and women entering into the field of teaching for various reasons. And there is a fear that we may be coming to a point, at least in public education, that we may have a tremendous shortage of classroom teachers. Which will also mean that instead of having our classrooms smaller, that the teacher may have more focus on individuals giving them more personal time, they will get larger because there's not enough teachers to go around. Now, we don't see the importance of that because you and I are in our 50s and 60s and we're heading toward retirement and we almost could care less, particularly if our children have gone to high school and finished college and in their own careers. But remember, 
you really cannot have a productive society unless you have a teaching society. You have to have an arm of teaching to educate those who will help us become a more civil as well as social society. And if we don't have educators, who then do we leave the teaching of the next generation to? Those of us who are part of urban settings, grew up in the inner city, we should already know if you leave teaching to the streets, we know what kind of education that is going to produce. And so we have these incredible needs, says those who are in the profession, that we are not only lacking in the preparation of soft skill, of hard skills in various industries or profession, but we also lack soft skills because soft skills doesn't necessarily restrict itself to a particular profession. In fact, it will stretch beyond your place of employment and even move into your personal relationships and how you communicate with your community and how you interact in your church and how you do various interaction and interpersonal activities with other people. And Nebuchadnezzar knew that as the current leadership he has moves toward retirement or death, someone would need to be able to pick up the reins. So look at verse 4. He tells his officials, look for, first of all, a posture. I'm looking for young men and women who have posture. Look at how he describes that. He says, I'm looking for youth who have no defect and who were good looking. Now, just think about that for a moment. When I said posture, I meant that he, are, he is looking for young men and women who are carrying themselves with not only specific and delicate care, but who appreciate and love who they are, and you can see it through the way that they carry themselves. You can see what they wear. You can see how they articulate. You can see how they defend themselves. He says, I'm looking for young men and women who are strong with posture and who are not manipulated by the crowd, but who allow themselves to establish a strong posture. Look at the second thing he says in verse 4. Not only am I looking for somebody who's good looking, who carries themselves well, but who also is not just exercising good posture, but look at this, they also have principles. Look at what he says. They are not just good looking, but they show intelligence in every branch of wisdom. That means that their thinking patterns are not restricted to a particularity. So they understand, although I may be an American, if I have any aspirations of making progress in life, maybe I need to prepare myself to speak Spanish, to speak Chinese, to learn Russian, to learn German. 
Maybe it's important that I am bilingual. Now, you should know that if you are a bilingual person today, your income almost doubles. Because if you can speak both English and the second predominant language, Spanish, you can find some very lucrative jobs as an interpreter. I can tell you right now, working for the county municipality in terms of the courts, if you can bilingual, if you are bilingual, you can earn as high as $75,000 a year just standing in court interpreting for those who do not speak English. Man, I thought I'd get an amen on that. I, you know, if you want my opinion, that ain't a bad living just standing there eight hours a day interpreting what somebody doesn't understand. Doesn't take a lot of effort. You just stand there and say, Your Honor, blah, 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 and that's it. And once or twice a month, you just hear the cash register sking right in your bank account. That's not a bad living, but you have to have that kind of aspiration. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was looking for. Someone who knew how to spread their intelligence and who understood wisdom in multiple ways. Critical thinking. Who could actually listen to both sides of a difference and find the relevance and the contributing factors to bring about resolution. Good listening skills. Somebody who actually knew how to not talk First, but listen. And in listening, you are able to discern where the problem of difference may lie. And right there, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm looking for somebody who's got wisdom principles, who understands the importance of learning who can sit in a boardroom and carry on a legitimate, reputable conversation. Mine is sports. Mine is entertainment. But who understand world views, world news. Who understands what's happening. They may not have the depth, but they at least have a general knowledge of what happens on Wall Street. What happens in the oil industry? How that affects the Dow Jones in America? What happens across various industries that may affect what profession is? That's what that verse means. That's what that line means when you talk about a widespread of multiple specimens of wisdom. And many times we learn, we kind of learn one-dimensionally in terms of our profession, and that's it. And, and if you you are a worker now, you know, just having a one-track mind in terms of employment is virtually useless these days because you're no longer just going to be A. You're going to have A, B, C, D assignments. And you may say, hey, I don't have any training in the area. Well, we'll get you some training, but for right now, you're going to have to work it out because that's what happens when you downsize. You lose all of these multiple persons, many probably, who were just taking up space, getting free pay, you know, that kind of thing. So when you downsize, now, what happens when we downsize, I'm going to show you how this plays in this text. When you downsize, the king is also looking for people who can handle pressure. 
Because when you downsize, that means that when you were used to only doing one thing, which really only took you five hours, but you got paid for eight, now you got four things that probably will take 12 hours instead of eight. And plus they want to know, in these 12 hours, I just may also throw on you item number six, seven, and eight, because person number one, two, and three are no longer here, or they are out, or they are on maternity leave, maternity leave or they are sick, a number, th and I still need this job done. Can you handle pressure, and can you work as a team member? Those are soft skills. There it is right there in the text. He says, I not only want to have somebody who's intelligent in every branch of wisdom, look at the next line, but who's endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge. By team member, he's saying, I want to know if among the Hebrews there is someone who recognizes I don't know how to do B, but I'm not afraid to tap on so-and-so's shoulder who's mastered that and bring them into the team that that person does B, I do A, and I also need somebody else who can do C. Who create a team environment understanding that neither position is personally anyone's. But we're doing this as a team. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking about, listen, if you listen to me, it just may help you get a raise. It may help you get a promotion. Because the more diverse you are and multi-skilled you are, the more valuable you are now to employers. So listen to what he says. He says, I want someone who has the ability, who is endowed with understanding and who can discern knowledge who recognizes that person number seven doesn't have it all together right now, but you can see all the potential in them. They are rising. We need to get them into some training so that when that moment comes for the project, they'll be ready to slide right into the position. That's why if your job offers free training, doesn't matter what it is, you might want to take advantage of it. Because when they look at your resume and see all of the training you have in multiple skills, you become an extremely valuable person that they may not want to be without. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar was looking for among these Hebrews. I want to know if there's someone who not only can discern and not only have an expanded knowledge, but watch this. Look at the next line. They've got the ability to serve in the king's court. So everybody want a government job, but not understanding what it takes to get there or the labor that you have to perform to get there. Everyone wants the six-figure income, but are you willing to pay the price to get there? They won't hand it to you, I can tell you that. They'll make you labor for it. But there's something about this text that I really want to lift up, in which I've named the sermon after, that Daniel makes clear with all of that. And you read further, you'll see that as the official 
went out, he found among them four individuals. Look closely at verse 6. It says, now among them from the sons of Judah, which I think is interesting that, that from the tribe of praise, which might suggest that maybe because they made the most noise, that the officials figure there must be something about them because they are forever celebrating, worshiping, praising, honoring who their God is. They've never lost connection even now in captivity of who is the center of their joy. And so maybe among them, there is the very personalities that Nebuchadnezzar looked for and says, verse 6, there was one Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, of which the Nebuchadnezzar changed their names that not only are they better understanding in terms of giving them Babylonian names so that he can better remember them, but it also changes the meaning of who they are and how they are viewed. So if you look closely, the name actually Daniel says, verse 7, is changed to Belshazzar, which means my bell protects life. But the bell is the idol god of Nebuchadnezzar, Babylonian god Baal. But Daniel means my god is my judge. Now watch how this connects. If you look at the next, the next is called Hananiah, and, and he's changed to Shadrach. And Hananiah means uh, Yahweh is gracious, but Shadrach means the command of the Aku God. I'd rather keep my name Hananiah, which says my God is gracious, because the Aku God, once again, is an idol God that has no movement. Then, look again, he changes Mishael to Meshach. And Mishael means who is what God is. So in other words, the Hebrew name Mushel means, hey, whoever God is, that's who I am. Man, that's a shouting point right there. Whoever God is, that's who I am. See, Meshach means who is what Aku is. The problem with Aku is he's inanimated. He don't move. He don't talk. I should better say it don't talk. It don't move. It can't move you. But Yahweh, who is gracious, and Yahweh, who is what God is, moves and talks with me and walks with me and undergirds me and assures me and helps me. This is the reason why you need to understand what's your name every young person I see that has a name. 
I asked him, do you know what your name means? You need to know what your name means because that's a part of who your identity is. If not, someone else will name you. There it is right here in the text. So Nebuchadnezzar renames them. Then there's one more. So there's Shadrach. There's Meshach. And then he names Azariah Abednego. And Azariah means whom Yahweh helps. Now Yahweh is just a Hebrew word for God. So translation, who God helps. In other words, uh, Azariah would say, I am certain that when I call on the name of my God, he helps me in the time of need. But Abednego means servant of Nebo. Nebo is once again a Babylonian idol god who has no significance to a Hebrew mind. So he changes their names because it helps him better identify who they are. You got to be careful when people start labeling you and giving you a name that does not fit who you are. And you must be willing to correct them. See, watch closely. Look at what verse 8 says. But Daniel made up in his mind. See, Daniel really says there are some things. Now look, everything that Nebuchadnezzar is offering, that's pretty cool considering where I came from. I came from Jerusalem. I came from the poor part of town. I didn't have a lot. We didn't have a lot. And what Nebuchadnezzar is offering is something I never dreamed I would have. But there are some things I just will not forget. And Daniel says, you can possess the soft skills all you wish, and I hope you do. But there's a couple of things I think you need to put along with that. Number one, he says, whatever you do, don't compromise who you are. In fact, draw the line in the sand. He is contending that there are some things, no matter how rewarding they suggest they will be to you, you will just not cross that line. And I mean, I'll let you paint that picture because there are a number of things. You only know, only you know what you will and will not do. But Daniel says, for me, even though the king, look at verse 8, look at close at verse 8, even though the king is offering, because if you look back at verse 4, it closes out by saying, he ordered his officials to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Look, here's what their reward would be. They would get A, room and board, free. B, they would get an education. And C, they would get job security or an internship that would lead to job security. All for free. Didn't cost them nothing. But how many of you know free is not necessarily free? It will definitely cost you something at some point in time. And Daniel said, my most critical issue is I must establish that there are some things that I will not forget, even though verse 5 says that the king 
appointed for them daily ration from the king's choice food and wine. So no longer greasy fried chicken sandwiches that mama gave you in the bag, you know, too. You get to eat filet mignon, prime rib, the whole nine yards. And you get to eat, drink from the $500 bottle of wine that the king had. There it is right there in the text. It says the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the king's wine, which he drank. You don't think the king drunk wild Irish rose, do you? You don't think the king drunk cheap wine? Look, there it is, right? Look, look right there. And he said, I will guarantee that I will educate you for three years, at the end of which you will enter into the king's service. How can you ask for a better setup than that? There it is, right there in the text. But there's a warning. In verse 8, Daniel says he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with his wine. Daniel says, I've drawn a line in the sand and there's just some things I'm not going to do, even though it will benefit me. I can move out of the space of poverty into the space of plenty, but at what cost? I can make progress. I can experience some of the trinkets of life, but at what cost, says Daniel? So he makes clear that there are some things that I won't do. I won't compromise. Secondly, says I won't limit my potential. See, look, look. So what does he do? Says clause B of verse 8. He sought permission from the commander of the official. Don't overlook the last line that he might not defile himself. He says, because I believe in the God that has been so good to me safely thus far, let me go even to the person who's trying to change me and say to him, can I put your theory to the test against my theory? That's what he says. Can, can I actually pitch your God against my God? In other words, the gospel says, Jesus, when you stand for the Father, the Father will stand for you. Watch this. So verse 9 says that, that when he stood up and, and said to the official, can I put your theory to the test or your God to the test? Look at the opening line. Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the official. Why? Because the commander knew as he begins to explain, man, I, I can't take that risk because if this thing don't work out right, my life is on the line. And do you know how hard I had to work to get this job that I got right here now? You just ain't that good for me to have to risk what I've worked all my life to get. But Daniel says to him, trust me. If you allow me 
and my friends to only engage in the diet that we have, vegetables, water, and fruit. Ten days, boy, now you know, here's, here's when you know you got faith. When Daniel puts a time limit on God's delivery, give me ten days and come back and check us out. And in 10 days, we're going to be totally different than those who are eating the king's meat. There, there it is right there in the text. Look at verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and some water to drink. Look at verse 13. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youth who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants accordingly to what you see. You know what he did? He actually put God on the spot. He said, because I believe in God so much and because I know because God has been so much with me and has brought me so far from this journey in my life and just because I'm in captivity doesn't mean that God has abandoned me. I'm going to trust that as I take God's diet, translation, you and I, it may not be vegetables and water, but it has to be the word of God. As I take on the diet of God's word, I don't have any problem speaking those things that are not as if they are and telling whatever it is in opposite. Listen, we spend, we spend too much time taking our problem to God and talking about it as opposed to taking the problem and talking about God to the problem. Did you get what I just said? We spend all our time going back to God, hollering and complaining and crying to God about the problem. And Daniel says, don't do that. You go to the problem and holler and rejoice about who God is and then watch God work in his own way. And look at Daniel. Ten days. All I need is ten days. That's all I need. Ten days and watch what Yahweh does because he may not come when we want him, but he's always on time and he's going to prove this later on once again in the fiery furnace, but he's setting the stage. You can put, God, listen, God says in Malachi, prove me. Put me on the stage, put me to test and see what I do. See what I show and when I show up, I will show out and I will be so victorious for you. And here's what he says, 10 days is all I need. Well, you, you, I, I get you to say, well, look at what the text says, verse 14. He listened to them, he listened to this matter and he tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were far fatter. Now, how are you going to get fat off of eating vegetables? There it is right there. They were even fatter than all the youth who had been eating the king's choice food. The overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine that they were drinking and kept giving them vegetables. The overseer was saying, man, I, I, I can't believe this. this. This thing is working. And 
Daniel says, one thing I won't forget is that when you put God first, God will always put you first. How do I know that? Well, let's look. Verse 17. It says that as for these four boys, God gave. God Almighty, that's, I can preach right there. God gave these four boys when they needed it, standing before the king. Verse 17 says, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Watch this. Here's something I didn't tell you before. This might insinuate that they didn't possess it when the official came looking for them at first. <laughs> but because they were obedient and trusted God in the moment of a crisis, God came through and gave them what they needed to get the command and the promotion to move from being in a poverty state to a plentiful state. There it is right there. Look at God gave them intelligence and understanding in every branch of literature and wisdom. And David even understood, I'm sorry, Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams as if he gave them a bonus. I wish y'all felt this thing the way I felt it. So at the end, at the end of the days when the king has specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, watch this now, and out of them, out of them, one of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Do you know what that means? The king talked to everybody that had been in training and no one had exceeded like these four boys. And look what happened. They entered into the king's service. So maybe your, maybe your, maybe your mode of promotion is not doing just to get along. Maybe you just need to remain faithful to God's word in terms of your own integrity and standing on some principles. So when they come and tell you, you know, you can get a promotion if you do X, Y, Z, and you can simply tell, no, you know, there's some things I'm just not going to do. I'm, I'm just not going to do that because that, that not only compromises my integrity, but it's displeasing to the God that I serve. And they may tell you this is not a religious issue. It may not be for you. But it is for me, because once I leave the confinements of this employment place, I have still got to go out and face the God of my salvation. And tonight, I still got to lay down and sleep with myself. Maybe God is trying to tell us through Daniel that there are some things that you haven't established that you just won't forget. And look at the text. As it closes, it says, not only did they enter the king's service, verse 20, but as for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and the conjurers who were in all of his realm. 
Here's the third thing that Daniel says I won't do. Daniel says, I will not forsake my faith. I'm going to hold on to the God who has been so good and gracious to me. Here's where I'm going to close this sermon. The reason why I'm going to remember it, because I know it was God who got me here. Watch this. I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to remember it because it's God who keeps me here. And I'm not going to forget it. I'm going to remember it because it's God who will help me succeed from here. And if I hold that, that's something I won't forget. If I hold that, then no matter what the king offers, if it's contrary to the God of my salvation, I ain't buying it. I'm not biting it. I'm not taking it. But I'm going to trust that if promotion is there for me, if progress is there for me, if opportunity is there for me, I'm going to trust that God will open the door in God's own way, in God's own time, and God will put the right people in my path or God will put me in the path of the right people. Uh, I'm done, but listen, have you... Have you ever served in a job and you kind of figured it was the worst experience you ever had? You wish a thousand times you had never quit what you had before that. You would have been better off staying there. And, but watch this. Uh, but here's how God works. In the economy of God, there are no failures. So even what you thought was the worst experience, if, if you sit back and analyze a little bit, and the next experience that you have beyond that, it actually becomes a bit of a benefit for you. Because there are some things that you learn from that context that you are never going to let yourself enter into again. There's some people you're never going to connect yourself to. There's some attitudes you're never going to embrace. There's some behaviors you're never going to practice. There's some principles you're never going to adopt that were in that context. And you've learned that although it seemed bad at the time, you've got to learn how to say, God, you know what? It was bad, but I thank you because if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be as prepared as I am now to work where I am now. And I wouldn't be prepared to move to a higher level all because of that bad experience but it's, it's never bad in the economy of God because it's a part of the curriculum of learning and growing it's a part of realizing that God allows you to jump out he probably tried to tell you all along no you don't want that job I'm telling you right now you really don't want it because there's some bad stuff there no Lord that 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 salary I'm making thirty thousand dollars more and do you know what I could do with thirty thousand dollars more and God is saying I know I got your back but if you jump that ship I, I, I'm telling you it's, it's gonna be a hot mess no and and then we justify it by saying this is my season This is my season, and I know this was an open door from God. Watch this. Sound contradictory, but it's true. But you had to jump into it to realize it won't your season, and it wasn't an open door from God. But God is so gracious and loving that even when we jump out of the frying pan into the skillet, he is still there to comfort us from the wounds that we receive from that experience and then still promotes us. 
And here is Daniel trying to tell us, you better draw the line in the sand. There's some things you are not going to do and you won't forget. Daniel says, you better remember to put God first and then God will put you first. And Daniel said, whatever you do, do not forget your faith. Because it's your faith that has got you to where you are. It's your faith that's keeping you where you are. And it's your faith that will open the door eventually to success and succeed from where you are. And because Daniel and those three boys were obedient to God, they got a chance to serve in the king's court. Do you know how choice that was? They catapult over everyone else who may have been better qualified. But don't forget what verse 9 says. God gave them favor and compassion with the king's officials. And that just means that you may not have all of the written credentials, but God will give your, he will give your officials over you favor and compassion to see your skill. And that's when folks say, how he get that job? How she get that job? I've been here for 20 years and I ain't got that kind of promotion. Favor ain't fair, but somebody got to enjoy it, baby. <laughs> and when I'm on the recipient end of God's provision like that, <laughs> hate all you want, but I'm going to enjoy the journey. Amen. Amen. Soft skills. Watch this now. These soft skills of listening and communicating and caring. Uh, one I didn't mention was empathy. I did briefly, but empathy means, we often think it means being able to understand someone else's sorrow, and that's partially true. But in the work industry, it also means being able to put yourself in that person's shoes and then navigate through the situation that whatever it is that's creating chaos in the employment context, you can work it out because you're walking through those shoes, watch this, with senti. And sensitivity says, I'm sensitive to what's happened to you because something similar has happened to me and there was a sensitive God who didn't exercise judgment but gave me grace. And by giving me grace, he now enables me to be able to walk in your shoes. And I know I can't be judgmental. I've got to find a way to comfort and bring you in the arms of an everlasting God who specializes in bringing comfort to those who are walking in pain. That's a valuable soft skill. That keeps people from committing suicide. That keeps people from coming back and creating mass murders, just coming into the workplace and unleashing on everybody, people who had nothing to do with their job deficiency. Do you hear what I'm saying? Daniel says, there's some things you just can't forget. And simplistically speaking, we can't forget who has gotten us to where we are and who keeps us where we are and who provides for us that we might move to higher ground at some point in time. Lord, thank you for the word.